This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Only one hero can save her family and prevent disaster. Mom, we're going to be late for school. I don't think so. Whoa. Experience the phenomenon that critics are calling inspiring. Mom, I can't find number 17. Come on, Billy. Dig deep. A lot of fun. And pure genius. Mom, where's my phone? Table. Keys. Mudroom. Dragon Man. Under the couch between the monkey and the flip-flop. How does she do that? by God to demonstrate his love with grace, elegance, and poise. Butane torch? It's a hard act to follow right there.
to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 9, and then we'll be in chapter 10, and uh, we'll be looking at some other scriptures as well, and I would just really encourage you to uh, take the section in your bulletin and just take some notes, or if you want to go to the Uversion app, and as we talk about, just find the event, uh, Church God Holiness event, and you can also... Uh, follow along there if you if you prefer. Uh, for those of you that have been here the last, uh, I think it's three weeks, uh, if you've actually listened, and I hope you have, but my messages have sounded like a broken record, and, and, and they probably always do, but especially the last three weeks, because after we we read our scripture and after the dust settled, it seemed that we landed on the same theme of knowing Jesus. In fact, my wife commented last Sunday said I, that I should have made the last few Sundays a sermon series and entitled it Knowing God. And I still can't seem to shake away from this unplanned series. And, and, and I believe there must be a reason for it. Maybe I need it personally, and, 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 and I'm sure I do. But, but I have a sense that as a church, we're in a season where God is trying to shake up the status quo. And he's trying to push us out of the shallowness that most Christians and most churches tend to settle in. You, you know, that's, that's the default mode of a church and of a Christian. Settle down to where it's comfortable, where it's shallow. You know, enough to where we, we feel in touch with God, but not enough to really, truly know Him. I believe God is wanting us to go into deeper water spiritually. And He's wanting us to truly know Him. Now, today's lesson, and I, t I told the prayer partners this this morning, as they, but right before they prayed for me, but we're going to use a shotgun approach. In fact, I'm going to break all of the rules of homiletics, or the art, that just means the art of preaching, and, and um, 
my, my, my professors, homiletics professors, I think they're, they're dead and gone. They're in the grave, so they won't know that they might actually roll over in their grave or spin around in their grave, but uh, th- that's okay. Bless their hearts. Uh, but, but I'm going to scatter shot in a wide enough swath where if you don't get hit today, you're ducking. Or as Dick said, you're behind somebody that's bigger than you. <laughs> but I've already been hit this week and I have a feeling that by the time we say our dismissal prayer most of us are going to walk away with some shot in us the Old Testament as I said first Samuel will provide the major backing for our lesson for Samuel uh, uh, again chapters 9 and 10 and, and we're going to read a passage that is actually the second half of the account that we want to study so for the second half to make sense I need to fill you in on the first half our lesson involves a man named Saul And if you're a new Christian, if you're new to church, let me just tell you right up front that this is not the Saul who became Paul in the New Testament. This is another Saul. But anyway, for years, the people of Israel had been led by prophets. And and prophets were just men of God who spoke and led the country on behalf of God. But the people of Israel began to look around, as, as a lot of times we do. And they began to look at these other countries that were surrounding them. And they were led by kings. They said, we're led by prophets, everybody else is led by kings, and, and we would like to be led by kings. We, we'd like to change our form of government to, so that we can be king-led instead of prophet-led. Now, God did not want that to happen. He knew that a system of kings would, would lead to the ugliness of politics. And we know a little bit about that here in our country, don't we? Even though we don't have kings, we have presidents, but we know a little bit about politics. Uh, God knew that it would lead to corruption and and a buying for power. And there would have to be a system of taxes that at times might, depending on the king, become oppressive. And it did. The system of kings was not what God wanted for his people. But after much asking and, and much begging, much pleading, God finally relented and said, Okay, have it your way. He said, I'll give you a king, even though it's going to bring you much heartache. And by the way, please don't check out on me yet. Be very careful about demanding things from God. You know, there's a movement in some churches that, that basically says, we can command, we can demand things from God, but be very careful about doing that. Because God might just give it to you, even though he knows it will cause you much grief. Well, our lesson begins with the story of how Saul became that first king of Israel. And as the account begins, Saul was an unknown man that lived with his father. Well, one day, some of the donkeys that that Saul's dad owned wandered off, got lost. And and so Saul's dad said, son, I'm going to send you and a servant And I want you to go and look for these donkeys. Well, they went, they trekked everywhere trying to find these crazy donkeys. And and here's one verse that talks about it in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 4. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim, or some people say Ephraim, and and through the area around Shalisha, but they did not find them. They went on into the district of Shalom, but the donkeys were not there. Then he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but they did not find them. So they searched and searched with no luck. And and just as Saul had about come to the point of thinking it was a lost cause, his servant 
all of a sudden had a brilliant idea. And he said, wait a minute, Saul, do you realize where we are? And Saul said, yeah, what, what do you mean? And, and the servant said, we're in the area where the prophet Samuel lives. Now, when the servant said the prophet Samuel, Saul basically said, who? Who is that? And, and, and the servant says, Samuel, the, the prophet Samuel, you haven't heard of him? You know, just kind of breaking away, putting this in today's setting for 2017, it would have been like a person being so unchurched and so far removed from religious circles that they wouldn't have even heard of someone of the stature of Billy Graham. I mean, that, that's kind of a comparison there. I mean, Samuel was the greatest spiritual leader in the country. He had been a prophet and a judge for decades. And, and Saul was so far removed from spiritual things that Samuel's name didn't even ring a bell with Saul. And so the servants explained uh, that Samuel was a prophet and could probably tell them where the donkeys were. And, and, and the Bible says they decided to go to Samuel's house. Now, now, what's interesting, and this is so much like God, he's a step ahead of everything, isn't he? God had prepared Samuel for this visit. And he had forewarned him the day before that a man would come and he was to anoint him, this man, as king. So when they arrived at Samuel's house and, and Saul and the servant said, Samuel, do you happen to know where our donkeys are? And, and Samuel said, guys, your donkeys have been found. They're safe. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. But right now, just relax and, and I'm going to feed you a meal. In the morning, we'll talk about getting your donkeys back as well as we'll talk about some other things. So they ate the meal. They spent the night with Samuel. Samuel. Now, now the next morning as they were getting ready to leave, Samuel said to the servant, I'd like for you to go on ahead because I need a word with Saul by himself. So you go on ahead, wait for him. But I need to give Saul a message from God. And this is where we pick up our scripture with the second half of the story. It's, it's a long reading. And for those of you that are ADD, you know, harness the, the reins of your ADD and, and try not to let your mind wander because this is very, very important. First Samuel chapter 9, we're going to read the last two verses there. Verse 26, 27, then go on to chapter 10. They rose about daybreak and... Samuel called to Saul on the roof, get ready and I will send you on your way. When Saul got ready, he and Samuel went outside together. As they were going down to the edge of the town, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us. I've already told you about this. And the servant did so. But you stay here a while so that I may give you a message from God. Moving into chapter 10. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him saying, has not the Lord anointed your, you leader over his inheritance? When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, the donkeys you set out to look for have been found. And now your father has stopped thinking about them. He's worried about you. He's asking, what shall I do about my son? They've been gone so long. Then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. 
After that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. And, and as you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, which was a, a stringed instrument, tambourines, flutes, and harps being played before them, and they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, and you will prophesy with them. And catch this, and you will be changed into a different person. Verse 7, once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your, your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you're to do. And then here is the key verse of our entire study today. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, Samuel God changed Saul's heart. God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. When they arrived at Gibeah, Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he joined in their prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, What is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Now, Saul really has a pretty bad name in the Bible because of some of the things that he did after he became king. But, but for this lesson, I want us to forget the rest of Saul's life. Yes, Saul blew it. He disappointed God. He died in disgrace. But this is one of the highlights of his life. And it's a highlight because of that verse that, that will anchor our thoughts today. Verse 9, as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. Now, when God changed Saul's heart, of course, there were several things that took place. One of the results was that Saul started prophesying. Now, Saul wasn't a prophet. He wasn't even the son of a prophet. But here, Saul, who had been so far removed from God to where he didn't even know about the greatest spiritual leader in the country of Israel, after having his heart changed by God, he begins to prophesy. Now, the, react, the, the people's reaction to <clears throat> Saul's prophesying is so interesting. And, and by the way, in the Bible, <clears throat> there are, excuse me, there are two types of, of prophesying. There's the prophesying where they were basically able to divinely see or foretell things, like Samuel knew that Saul and his servant were going to be dropping by the next day. That's one type of prophesying. But, but then there was another type of prophesying, <clears throat> excuse me, that was more like the form of preaching and teaching. But anyway, Saul began to prophesy. And, and the people's reaction to this was awesome. They, they said, is Saul one of the prophets? And, and you could tell they were thinking, you have got to be kidding. Uh, Saul? I mean, anybody but Saul. You know, sadly, it's kind of the way that we think when a rough sinner comes to Christ and maybe he's called into ministry, we think, no way, <laughs> anybody but him. <clears throat> but God took this man who was so far removed from spiritual things and he changed his heart. Now, when we have an encounter with God, our heart should change. And I want to emphasize this before we go on. Change is really the tangible, the visible proof that we've met Christ. You know, when I read obituaries, and I don't do that for a hobby, by the way, but 
when I read obituaries, typically there is generally one line and only one line in the entire obituary that refers to the spiritual life of the deceased. Even though we say the spiritual life is the most important part, yet we devote, really it's one sentence in obituaries to our spiritual life. And that one line in obituaries goes something like this. So and so was baptized at a certain age and attended such and such a church as long as they were physically able. That's it. The most important part of someone's life gets one sentence in the entire obituary. And you never, or at least rarely, ever read in obituaries about the transformation in someone's life. You never read about the heart change. And, and when it comes down to eternity, so what about the baptism? You know, so what about the church attendance? Where they were a member? So what? Yes, those things are, are biblical, but if our hearts and our lives haven't changed, then there's probably little or no substance to our salvation. I'm getting really specific here. Where the rubber meets the road. If we still have a filthy mouth and use God's name in vain, I seriously question whether or not we've had a heart change. If we drink, cheat, steal, gossip, I'm not even going to be politically correct here. We probably haven't had our hearts changed by Jesus Christ. You know, I think God must become so weary of us when we proclaim a high level of spirituality, but then there's no change in the way we live. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? A new creation, a new creature. The old has gone. The old life. You know, the swearing, the dirty deeds, that's gone. And it says, the new has come. There will be change. And today in our theology, we're losing the concept of a heart change. And what's happening in so many places is that we're substituting a heart change for teaching and, and we're trying to teach spiritual life into people. And, and yes, teaching and preaching have their place in the church. That, that's the way I make my living. That's what God has called me to do. But I can't preach anybody to Christ. I can't teach spiritual life into someone. Only God gives spiritual life. You know, I can't teach spiritual power into someone. Only God gives spiritual power. I can't teach transformation into someone. Only God can transform someone. And as we look through the Bible, great men and great women became great not because of teaching. They became great not because of programs. They became great not because of abilities. But they became great for God because their hearts were changed when they had a true encounter with the living God. I mean, you look at Abraham, who's a great man. Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees because God changed his heart and God said, go. And, and then Abraham had subsequent encounters with God because the scripture says that he built altars along the way and took time to meet with God. Moses was another great man, but he looked like a failure on the backside of the desert after murdering a man in Egypt. But, but then he had an encounter with God at the burning bush and that changed him forever. Isaiah was another great man of God. But when King Uzziah died, Isaiah went into a period of darkness and, 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 and spiritual doubt. But the book of Isaiah says that in the time of darkness, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And that encounter with God changed him. 
In the New Testament, when the Apostle Paul gives his testimony, he doesn't talk about the great teaching of a certain rabbi that impacted him. He doesn't talk about the synagogue or the church that he attended. He says, what changed me was that I met the Lord on the road to Damascus. That was what did it. He met Jesus. And once God changes our heart, we see everything differently. We see our spouse differently. We see our friends differently. We see our enemies differently. We see our job differently. We see our church differently. We see eternity differently. We must be born again and have Jesus change our heart. And, and, and please listen, you know this, but we need reminders. You know, they say uh, in leadership that if you don't repeat everything, I think it's every 28 days, something like that, that we tend to forget it. So the basics, we need to remind each other every 28 days. But... Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian, just like going to, into a garage doesn't make you a car. Just like getting into the water doesn't make you a fish. Just like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a Happy Meal. <laughs> Have I made my point? Just like going to Dairy Queen doesn't make you a Dilly Bar. Or just like going to Disney World doesn't make you Donald Duck. You know, to become a Christian, you must be born again and experience a heart change. And what was the result when God began to change hearts in the New Testament? Well, the Bible says that the early church had converts on a daily basis. Now, surely that's ministerially speaking, exaggerating. No, that's, that's truth. On a daily basis. Can you imagine new converts on a daily basis? And remember, the early church had, they didn't have Bibles. Um, they, uh, they didn't have church buildings. They didn't have conferences. They didn't have praise bands. No high-tech media or sound systems. But it didn't matter because when God changed them, they they were, and, and they were filled with His Spirit. He gave them power and anointing. And that's all it took for them to turn the Roman Empire upside down when God changed their hearts and filled them with His Spirit. But today things are so different. You know, most churches are struggling. They, they say that 80% of the 400,000 churches in America are either plateaued or declining. And we wonder why. So what do we do? Well... We, we do the blame game. We blame our society because it's so wicked. And there's no doubt our society is wicked. And then we like to blame the government. Because there's little morality in Washington anymore. And that's probably true. But, but you know what? When the early church was thriving, there was no morality in the Roman government either. And, and talk about corrupt. Read about Caligula. Read about Nero. And you'll find out just how corrupt the government was. So, so if you compare the society and the government 2,000 years ago to our society today and, and our government today, you see a little difference. The, the corruption, the level of wickedness was pretty much the same. So what caused the church to grow by leaps and bounds 2,000 years ago? i tell you what it was. The, the early church, they had a true encounter with Jesus Christ and their hearts were changed. 
You know, something else that really irritates me is that sometimes we tend to blame our schools and we say, well, because they took prayer out of our schools back several decades ago, that's the reason that our country is so messed up. And, and we talk about bringing prayer back into our schools, which, which I'm all for it. I, I don't have a problem with that. But, but, but here's what I want to say. We don't have a right to demand prayer back into our schools until we bring prayer back into our homes. You know, it's embarrassing to hear people gripe about no prayer in schools or no prayer before ball games or no prayer during graduations or whatever when many of those same people don't even have a time of family prayer in their own homes. And while I'm on this, let me get into really deep weeds here and say that nor do we have a right to demand prayer back into our schools until we bring prayer back into our churches. Again, many of the same people who gripe about no prayer in schools never come to a prayer meeting at the church. And, and by the way, I'm not mad at you today. <laughs> I, I, I'm really not. And, and I actually slept fairly well last night for me. Uh, so so I, I'm not as cranky as maybe I, I, I sound, but we can't use the excuse of no prayer in schools. The, the early church 2,000 years ago, there, there was no prayer in the Roman schools either. Again, what was the difference? The people had an encounter with God and their hearts were changed. And, and I know that God has blessed us as a church. I know that He's giving us, given us good growth over the years and He's blessed us to see quite a few people come to know Jesus. But I don't believe, and I go on record saying, I don't believe we've even scratched the surface of what God would like to do in this community. In Eldorado Springs and especially Nevada. They really need God there. Sorry, Rick. And you know, this past week during my prayer time, I, I, I prayed and asked God for a fresh encounter on our church. And I prayed and asked God to give me a fresh anointing. And, and I prayed and asked God for the type of encounter that Saul and Abraham and, and Isaiah and Moses and the Apostle Paul had with God. And, and, and I prayed that we would have daily encounters with God. You know, we can't live on past encounters with God. What God sent in the good old days was wonderful, but it's not enough for today. We must have frequent, ongoing encounters with Jesus Christ. And that would change everything. Our lives would be different. Our churches would be different. And, and even our obituaries would be different. Instead of reading, well, so-and-so was baptized, attended church as long as they were physically able, we would hear their testimony how they, once they were lost, but God changed them, made them new creatures in Christ Jesus. And how maybe they were once alcoholics, but they met Jesus and He dried them out. Or once they were immoral gossips or legalistic, etc., but they met Jesus and had a heart change. Can you imagine how that would change the whole feel of a funeral instead of so-and-so was baptized and attended church as long as they were physically able to. So-and-so knew Jesus. They met Jesus. They once were lost, but they met Jesus. And again, it's going to take more than the right doctrine and the right theology and the right music and the right teaching and the right preaching and the right conferences and the right baptism and the right church attendance for it to happen. And because something I find interesting is that the apostles lived with Jesus for three years. And at the end of three years of his teaching, in one sense, they were spiritual failures. I mean, when Christ was arrested, they all fled. One had already betrayed him. 
Now, did they have a good teacher? Absolutely the best. Did Jesus give them good doctrine? Absolutely. Pure doctrine. But that doctrine and that that teaching did not transform them. It took an encounter with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And then they became firebrands for Jesus. And you you want to know what happened? I love this. And in Acts chapter 11, verse 20, it says, Some of them, however, men from Cyprus, Cyrene, went to Antioch, began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Do you want to know what happened? The Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And, and, and I'll just tell you, that's what I want. I want the hand of the Lord to be upon me. And, and I want the hand of the Lord to be upon you, upon this church, upon our board, upon our Sunday school teachers, upon our kids workers. The hand of the Lord must be upon us. Amen. And as we begin uh, just our, our, our wrap up, I know you're ready to get out of here, but let me say that as churches in America... We're, we're at a difficult, difficult place. And I've talked about this more than once, but we have churches on one side of the pendulum that are doing weird things in the name of the Holy Spirit. You know, they're twitching, roaring, barking, doing bizarre things, saying it's the Holy Spirit. And, and because Satan is so smart, because of these churches, Satan causes another group of Christians to move to the other side of the pendulum. And they say, if that's the Spirit, I don't want anything to do with it. And these people... To stay away from the bizarre, weird things. They take church to where it's dead and dry and traditional and formal, where there is no spiritual life. And, and then back on the other side, they say, we don't want to be part of a dead church. And so they move into emotionalism and sensationalism. And the whole time, Satan is jumping up and down with glee because he has succeeded in getting both sides off track. But right there is the New Testament church. <laughs> and that's what I want for this church. I don't want to be over here on the dead side where it's just doctrine and theology and where everything is cut and dried and, and predictable, where there's no life. But neither do I want to be on the other side where we focus on the sensational experiences and where we get into the bazaar just so we can have a little bit of excitement. I want to be as the New Testament church. I want to have life. I want God's Spirit to control our services. But then I also want His Word to have preeminence. I want His Word to have prominence. And for us to be grounded in biblical doctrine. You know, many of you have probably heard the saying, if you have the word without the spirit, you'll dry up. But if you have the spirit without the word, you'll blow up. But if you have the word and the spirit, then you'll grow up. And so I want to give God freedom to come and change the order of our services. I, even if it means staying past quitting time. And all of the people said... Some of you said, not sure about that. (laughs) You know, just so that you uh, are relaxed, you you know, after 23 years, and you put up with me a long time, and somebody was asking me from another church, they said, how long have you been here? And I said, 23 years. And they said, wow. (laughs) I don't know what they were thinking, but um, I don't know what I was thinking either. but (laughs) But after 23 years... I think you probably know that I'm not one to drag things out. And and, and I believe that the mind can absorb no more than the seat can endure. Um, And and I don't believe that as a common practice, it's any more spiritual for us to let out at 10.15 than it is at 9.45 on a regular basis. I like to start on time and I like to get out on time. 
But I do think that we should allow the Holy Spirit to also change things around a bit. You know, just as, as in a ball game, once in a while, the game goes into overtime or extra innings. And so let's give some flexibility to where if at times the Holy Spirit has something really special for us and He wants to take us into extra innings, let's not get in a hurry. Let's enjoy His presence. You know, the bottom line is that we need a fresh visitation of God to our souls. We need God to change our hearts. And if, if we will allow Him to do that, then God will give us power. He'll give us life. He will give us direction. And the church will be the church where the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. Amen. Here's what I want to do to close this service today. and I want to read a couple of scriptures and then I want to pray them over you. Scriptures in the book of Ezekiel and powerful, powerful scriptures. So listen to them first, then I want to just pray them. Ezekiel eleven nineteen, And I will give them singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. Oh God, let it be. I will take away their hearts of stone and give them tender hearts instead. So they will obey my laws and regulations. And then they will truly be my people and I will be their God. And in the same book, another scripture very similar. It's as if Ezekiel was saying, I need to say this again. He says, Ezekiel 36, 25, 26, he said, And I will give you a new heart with new and right desires. And I will put a new spirit in you. And I want to pray this sentence on you in just a minute. This the scripture and I will take out your stony heart of sin and give you a new obedient heart and I will put my spirit in you so you will obey my laws and do whatever I command would you stand please just allow me to pray scripture over you this morning father I want to thank you for your word Thank you for the Holy Spirit that gives us direction, gives us comfort, but also brings conviction. <clears throat> Father, I, I want to just pray these scriptures. I want to pray singleness of heart, and I want to pray that you would give us a new spirit within us. Father, I pray that you would take away our hearts of stone and give us tender hearts. In other words, those places where we've become hardened and we're no longer sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would replace that hardness into a tenderness. Lord, we want to obey your laws and your regulations. Lord, we want to be your people and we want to be your God. Lord, we want obedient hearts. Lord, I pray that as a church we would see us going into a new day and age where there's a fresh visitation upon us. God, forgive us for that shallowness and just the default mode of the church where we settle, where it's just not very deep. Lord, forgive us for that. And I pray that, Lord, through all of this, the last several sermons, it's as if you've just tried to get across to us that we need to know you, truly know you, and, and have our hearts changed. And God, I pray that this week you would begin to just rattle our cages and 
and, and, and Father, that, that we would be uncomfortable, that you would even, we give you permission even to wake us up in the middle of the night or take away our appetite so that instead of eating, we would just want to spend time with you. And Lord, we, uh, we give you permission to convict us. If, if, if we need to go to a friend and make something right, that we would do so. God, I pray that there would be just that sensitivity in our hearts towards you. Lord, as you took Saul's heart and gave him a new heart, we ask that that would happen for us today. Lord, you know the needs of our lives, and we want you to do something that we can't do. Father, I can't preach this into anyone. Lord, I can't preach spiritual life into anyone. I can't preach revival into anyone, but you can through your Holy Spirit. And and so, Lord, I pray that you would just kind of wake us up and shake us up and, and that you would give us revival and that you would give us renewal. That, Lord, we're not asking you to do something that you've done before, but we're asking you to do a new thing. A new thing that fits us right where we are. Tailor make it <clears throat> for us as a church and for us as a people. And God, we will thank you. We, we don't know what you're trying to do here. Lord, I, I keep going, trying to go another way in my preparation for sermons uh, throughout the week and you just keep bringing me back to this theme and so we don't know exactly what you're trying to do but lord we want to obey you and don't let me mess up lord don't let me uh miss what you are intending for this church so god we just consecrate ourselves to you change our hearts today and gives us give us subsequent encounters with you as well we pray this in jesus precious and holy name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.